I get to introduce you to the promises of God today. And uh, out of everything uh, that we build our faith on, that we build our lives on, nothing, 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 nothing is more stable, is more trustworthy than the promises of God. I want you to imagine with me a world where nobody's promise was worth anything. Any commitment they made to you was suspect. Anything that they said um, might as well just go in one ear and out the window. I mean, everything I do means nothing. Uh, I will always love you, parent to kid, means nothing. Uh, your boss telling you you got a paycheck coming Friday means nothing. That every promise of every person on the world, in the entire world, would be completely and utterly useless. It's depressing. <laughs> Some of you may think that's actually the world you're living in, right? A world in which uh, people get up all the time, and especially right now in an election year, everybody's full of, of platitudes and promises, uh, the vast majority of which probably will never come true. And so it's easy then when we live in a world where people don't keep their promises very much for us to begin to be suspicious of anyone or anything that says, here's a promise you can believe in. Here's a promise you can trust. God's truthfulness, okay, is the foundation of the moral life, of the abundant life. God has to be truthful or we can't trust him. And so what the Bible is going to say to us today in 2 Peter chapter 1, which that you can go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. Uh, we, we preach out of the Bible here at NBC every week. Um, you can look at the YouVersion Bible app and follow along as well. Um, the Apostle Peter is writing to Christians and he's trying to reaffirm in their hearts how important the promises of God are. How important they are to, to their life, to, to seeing them become everything that God wants them to be. Very few of us actually, I guess I don't need that thing, very few of us actually are aware of how abundant our life could be if we would actually just listen to God and do what he said. We, we lose track sometimes of, of what great things God might have in store for our lives by not following his instruction. So here in just a moment, I want to read you something, and I want you, we're just introducing the promises of God. Each week we'll take one and kind of work our way through. But I want to start with this, that we can only really become like Jesus if we live like Jesus, and we can only live like Jesus if we believe what he says. 2 Peter 1, 3 and 4. This is a loaded two verses. Here we go. His divine power has given us everything we need for godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great impressors promises so that through them we may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. All right, let's unpack that for just a second. We're going to go further, so don't lose your place. He begins by saying that God's promises are a reflection of his character, that God has given us his promises because of his own glory and goodness. Glory and goodness. Glory and goodness. His glory reminds us that if he makes us a promise, he can actually fulfill it. I remember once when I was running for fourth grade president. This is a very important election. This is back at Tensure Elementary School, and I ran for student council president of the fourth grade. Fourth grade, okay? I just hold up five fingers. Four, fourth grade. 
So I get up and I, and I, you know, you work on this speech really hard. You, you probably have not given a lot of public addresses at, at nine years old. Um, so I decided to get up and make my most compelling speech. And I got up and I promised that class that I would, if I were elected, I would put soda in all the drinking fountains on campus. <laughs> and they all applauded, right? And I lost. And I lost because I think they probably realized, he can't do that. Like, like, he can't do that. Even if he's elected, he can't do it. And because I couldn't do it, my promise meant nothing. Right? If I can't do it, if, if, if one of my children says, hey, Dad, uh, buy me a car. I'll pay you back. <laughs> it means nothing. They, they, they have no money. Okay? And any money they have is actually mine, probably. So when you look at that, it's like they can't fulfill it, so it doesn't make any difference. God's glory who he is, his power, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory, he can, and his goodness, he will. He's fundamentally truthful and good. He keeps his promises. So he's not one of these people that makes promises he has no intention of keeping. He's not somebody who then pulls it back later. He's not Someone who idly sits by, makes empty promises to people that he can't fulfill or he won't. He's not in this to use us. He's in it to help us, to help us become everything that we are born to be, everything that he thought we could be in, our, in his mind's eye when he knit us together in our mother's womb. His glory means that he's able to fulfill his promises. His goodness means that his promises are kept because it's right. Now, he makes essentially four different kinds of promises. You can, you know, kind of lump them in uh, into these buckets, okay? I want to give them to you real quick. Uh, the first is specific promises. So these are promises that he makes to a particular person, to a particular generation. Uh, so, for instance, he says to David, David, um, I am going to uh, make you, your house a great name. A descendant of yours will always sit on the throne, all right? God didn't promise me that a descendant of mine would always be on the throne. He promised David that a descendant of his would be on the throne. So he's making it to a very specific place, okay? Uh, when he makes a promise to Abraham, Abraham, I know you're old. I know your wife's old. I know she's been barren thus far, but she's going to give birth. He's making that, and then you're going to have these descendants, and they're going to num outnumber the sands of the seashore. All right, so that commitment that he makes is to Abraham. It doesn't mean that if I'm in my 90s and I want to have a kid, that the same promise goes to me. You see what I'm saying? Specific person, specific situation. Uh, you also have what are called conditional promises. Conditional promises are if-then promises. If you do this, I'll do that. Now, it's important when you're looking at these kind of promises that we understand that, that we have to keep our promises as well. So an example would be John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believed in him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. Believing in Jesus is what brings about eternal life. God says, I'm sending my son to help redeem all creation that those who believe in him would have eternal life, okay? So there, there are conditions on them, all right? Then you have unconditional. These are the ones that we like the most. Um, I will not destroy the earth by flood, again, for instance. There's no condition. It's not unless you really make me mad or something like that. It's just a promise. It's something that he says because of his grace, because of who he is, his nature, overflowing from that is a, an unconditional promise. 
And then these are the ones that we're going to get ourselves in trouble. I call these imaginary promises. These are ones that we think God made that he never made. You feel me on this? These are promises that God never made, but we wish he did or we think he did. What do you mean? Here's what I mean. We get to parts, uh, places in life where we have something that we would like to see happen, our own particular agenda, our own way we wish it were. And so in order to do that, we can take a promise of God that is actually there and move it 10 degrees that way to where he didn't really say that, but we think he did. Or just like we're prone to build idols in our own lives anyways, we'll just create a God that will fulfill that fake promise. We create a fake God to fulfill it. So, like what? I thought that when, that the Bible promised me that if I became a Christian, my life would get easier. Hmm. No. It's a promise God never made that you're holding him accountable to. It's a promise you made yourself. It was a wish fulfillment that you had going on. So, in order, because I want my life to be easier, I create an imaginary God who makes an imaginary promise that my life's always going to get easier. The real promise went something like this. In this world, you will have trouble. That's the actual promise, right? In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, he says, I've overcome the world. Amen? So, so understanding it's not the end of the world when he says in this world you're going to have trouble. He promises his presence through it. He doesn't promise complete avoidance of it. Remember, when we are Christians, we are following in the footsteps of his own innocent son who died an excruciating, embarrassing, painful death. And we are told then to pick up our cross. Our what? Our cross and follow him, right? So what we often do is build imaginary promises. Oh, God just wants me to be happy. Well, ish, yeah, sort of. You know, I thought God said I'd be happy if I became a Christian. Eh, imaginary, right? So you have all those, those types. And most of the promises of God uh, that I've seen that people get upset with him. Um, I got this. Uh, this is like uh, what um, Mike Pence and the fly on his head. That thing's coming back up on my head as I'm talking. Um, see, it's not leaving me here. Here we go. <laughs> I'd be like Red Skelton up here all of a sudden or something like that. Um, so we have these different kinds of promises, right? And those promises then are intended to help transform our character. Okay, those promises are meant for us to build our lives on. They were given so that, Peter says, we could participate in the divine nature. What does that mean? How exactly does God transform us? Well, you have this God who is full of glory and goodness, who gives us divine power because of it through his great and precious promises. And those promises become our foundation. Those promises become that on which we build our lives. And because of those promises, okay, that forms the bedrock of everything that we are and it transforms us day by day because I can believe in what he says and I know that whatever he calls me to, he's going to go with me. And so because I know he's going with me, I walk forward in faith no matter what because I believe in his promises, I trust in his promises. 
You see? So that then transforms us into the divine image. We become, we were cowards, now we're courageous. We were full of lust and garbage and stuff, and now we become righteous. We were quitters, now we persevere. We were people who didn't get along at all, and now we're full of brotherly love and mutual affection, as he's going to say. That that transforming act happens because if God is asking us to do something, we understand he's also promising to go with us. And whatever we do where he's with us, guess what? Guess what? Is a lot better than anything we do without him. The opening night of this church, anything resembling a church, okay? As I recall, there were 16 of us, including the kids, the Holy Spirit, and the cloud of witnesses. Okay? And we were there, and it was kind of a cloudy night. And so you find yourself going, okay, we're getting ready to start a church here. What text should I preach from? Hmm. And I turned to Exodus, and I went to Moses, and I've preached it several times since here at New Vintage, but it's because it's so important, especially if you're in the wilderness. Here it goes. God is so upset with the Israelites that they're grumbling and complaining. He says to Moses, I'm done with them. Take them from here. If I go another step with them, I'm going to wipe everybody out. So you take them. I'm done with them. See ya. Moses, then, of course, they're just, I mean, they're a hop, skip, and a jump from the promised land. And he says, wait, 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 wait. If you won't go with us, we're not going up from here. Now think about that. You've been wandering around the wilderness for decades. You finally get within a stone's throw of the promised land. God says, you know what? Take them from here. I'm tired of their whining. I'm tired of their griping. I can't handle it anymore. You go ahead, Moses. You guys do you. If I go one more step with you, you're in trouble. All right? And Moses says, if you're not going to go with us, we're not going. Because your presence in the wilderness is better than being without you in the promised land. Think about that. How important that promise is of his presence. Just that one and knowing that God's with us, how that transforms us into people who can now walk courageously instead of being cowardly in everything that we do. If I know he's with me, that changes the way that I fight the battle, doesn't it? If he's with me and he's glorious and good, then I feel free to live the way that he guides me. And then Peter will go on. Now, here's what you thought those two verses were loaded. Check these out. 2 Peter 1, 5 to 11. He says this. For this very reason... What reason? That God's given us all of this by his own glory and goodness. Make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind. Raise your hand if you're nearsighted. Come on, don't lie. Look, God's people right there. We're going to come back to you in a minute. Nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election for if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He says, 
the more you walk in his promises, the more you're going to become like him. The more we become like him, we add to what we've already been given faith-wise. He says, add to your faith. And then look at the list. Character-based. It's not technical. He's saying goodness. Who else was good? Go back. A couple verses, right? God gives us these promises. He's given us everything we need by his own glory and goodness. Add to your faith goodness and self-control and perseverance and doing these things. And the root of it is that God wants us to become like him. Not meaning we're, uh, you know, omniscient and all that the way he is, but that our essence, our character becomes like his. Who's he? He's full of steadfast love. He is full of glory and goodness. He is full of perseverance. His son, Jesus Christ, comes to earth, walks death row the entire time he's here, fully innocent, and is crucified for our sins. That's what perseverance looks like. He learns obedience through what he suffered, the text says, right? So you have all of this going on, and he says, listen, God has given you everything you need, everything you need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So add these things. Keep working on it, Christian. Keep going. Keep going. And if next thing you know, you're going to look up, and you're going to realize you look a lot more like Jesus than you did before. If you don't, he says, then guess what? You are nearsighted. You're blind. You're ineffective and useless. All right, Peter. Say what you mean, brother. <laughs> Most of the things that make us effective in life are matters of character, not strategy. There are a lot of people out there with a lot of talent, and they fail at life because they have no character. But you show me a person with good character, usually you'll notice them starting to do things in life that lead to abundance. That's kind of what he's saying. And he says that there are a lot of people who never build on the God's promises. They, they consume his promises, essentially. They don't build on their faith. They just use it as an opportunity. They pop promises like candy. Oh, hey, I'm down. I'm going to pull the promise out that makes me feel better. Pop it in. Off I'm going. Not understanding that the point of the promises is transformation. Transformation. That he, we would become like his son. It's not just so that we can feel better about everything. We will, I think, because we're walking in strength and bravery and courage instead of lack of courage and, oh, what does he say here? Uselessness? Ineffectiveness? We're walking in abundance in the strength of the Lord instead? Hey, look. Nearsighted folks, that's what he says we're going to be. Uh, I was surprised. You get a lot more nearsighted people in this service than the other two. Um, this was the year. This is 2020, right? This was the year my 2020 went away. This was the year. I used to have amazing vision. Like, like I could read the minds of people a mile away. Like great vision. I mean, I could see things. Em would be on one side of the house. I'd be on that side of the house with her. She'd say, hey, what time is it? And I'd go look at the microwave from across the house and go, 717 or something like that. She'd say, you can read that? Yeah, well, those days are gone. Uh, that is no longer the case. But I'm actually farsighted, which I guess means you can see things far away, but you can't see them close. So what I found, you'll notice I'm not looking at my iPad like this. I'm looking at it from back here, right? Because my arms are too short. 
these days. I've noticed. I thought they were longer. But you get to that point where it's like, okay, I can still see from far away. And I used to laugh at my parents when, when I saw them doing that. And now here I am. So I acquired these little guys. Check this out. Oh, yeah. Yeah, let's try them on. You want to see what, uh, see what a dork I look like, man? Yeah, yeah. You got a big, got a big dork in front of you. Now, here's, what it, here's the gift that these give me. This makes me nearsighted. I can't see anything past the third row at all. Uh, in fact, I think that's Mark Webster right there. I'm not sure, though. <laughs> all right? I can't see anything. So now I know what it's like. What he's saying is, now if I can make my way around here without falling off the stage or something, is that that's what it's like when you don't add to your faith what God gave you to do. Then you see things like this. You can't see anything down the road. All you see is right here, right now, what I'm feeling, what I'm thinking, uh, what I'm anxious about, what I'm fearful about. That's all I see. And I can't see what God is trying to do. I can't see what God's promised me he's going to do. All I can see is, you know what, man, I'm hungry, or I wish I had more of this, or this and that and the other. And he says that right here. I mean, seriously, I can't, I can't see anything. Um, and frankly, even the front row is all blurry. And he says, that's how, that's how it is. When you go about your life, instead of building on the promises of God, you consume them. You do nothing to grow. You just stay put. I'm not growing. You know what? Thanks for the hall pass, uh, God. Um, I'm counting on you for eternity. Don't let me down, buddy. And you take that approach. Useless, he says. Ineffective. Nearsighted and blind. So Peter says that if we fail to build on those, those other virtues on top of the foundation of faith, we're nearsighted and blind. It means you can't see past the end of your nose. And then, of course, he goes on to talk about God's big promise of being of an eternal kingdom and welcoming us in. But it still raises that question, what difference do God's promises make? Why do they matter? Well, Peter's saying to us, it transforms people. How would he know that? Because he's been transformed by them himself. The all-time scriptural choke job in history belongs to our boy Peter. He goes up to Jesus. Now, he had a couple low moments. Jesus called him Satan once. That's a, that's a bad day. Then you have this one, which is, he comes up and he says, uh, Jesus says, you know what, you're going to deny me three times by the time the rooster crows. Not me, Lord. No way is that going to happen. Not me. Maybe Judas. Not your boy Pete. Not going to happen. Sure enough, guess what? Three times in the clutch, he says, I don't know him. I saw you. You were one of his followers, weren't you? No. Me? No. No, another guy looks like me, Talk, sounds like me, dressed like me, talks like me. Somebody else, not me. Are you sure? I could have sworn I saw you. No, 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 not me, somebody else. Because he's scared. He's scared. So then, check this out. Check this out. <laughs> then he watches Jesus be crucified and he sees the risen Christ. Now his eyes have seen 
Now he knows the promise of God is true. And by the time that you get to Acts chapter 2, this dude is a fire-breathing dragon of gospel preaching. He won't be deterred by anybody or anything. They say, you know what? We're going to beat you if you don't shut up. And he says, well, all right. This back was made for beating. I got to do what God wants me to do. Who is this guy? What is the change from Peter, the, 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 the I'm scared of confessing Christ in front of a campfire girl, to this guy standing up in front of thousands saying, you know what? All of you are guilty of his blood. Our sin collectively as humankind is what put him on the cross. And you guys did it yourself. You put the nails in. You built the cross yourself and did it. Well, that's quite a, quite a change. What's the difference? He's walking in God's promise. What well, one was that? that? That Jesus, if he died, would be raised on the third day. And he saw it with his own eyes and it changed him forever. And so now he is looking at other Christians and he's saying, hey, let me tell you something. God has given you everything you need, everything you need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So you have a great and good and glorious God who's given you everything you need. He's given you promises that you can rely on so that you can take on the divine nature. So therefore, make every effort to build on that to keep going, to keep adding to your faith this, goodness, self-control. Let me take you a quick walk through a couple of others. Okay, Abraham, same deal. He promises Abraham that his wife Sarah is going to bear a son. Both of them don't really believe it. So Abraham goes, has a kid with somebody else, with Sarah's permission. It's a complete disaster. And then guess what? God gives him that son through Sarah. And then God says to him, I want you to take him up and sacrifice him on the altar. He does it. He gets up there, and then God provides a ram in the thickets in, instead. He never intended for Isaac to actually be killed. But in the book of Hebrews, when, when, when it's being reflected back on the idea is that Abraham was so sure of the promise of God that he knew that even if Isaac died, he would raise him to life. He knew. He was that sure of the promise of God. That's what allows you to do those kinds of things. God's promises transform you from Peter by the campfire to Peter at Pentecost. From Abraham, the, you know, <laughs> we'll say the father of, of, of Ishmael through Hagar versus Abraham, the father of Isaac. How about Saul and David? Saul, you've got one job. You're the king. You're the chief military leader. you got the best armor, the best training, and an army behind you. Goliath is standing on the other side of the ravine, cursing at God's people, saying all sorts of awful things to, to, to God's people. And guess what? Saul, over here, even though God's promised him victory, he says, you know what? Uh, no. I can't do that. Um, in fact, if, I, if any of you guys want to do it, I'll give you the hand of one of my daughters in marriage. I mean, what a pathetic. Here comes shepherd boy David. He sees him, and he goes, who's this uncircumcised Philistine hurling insults at God's people? A shepherd boy, and the reason that David gives for why he's not afraid 
is he says, you know what? When I was out tending to the sheep, uh, sometimes out would come a lion or a bear. And you know what? God gave me victory over those. So you know what? He's going to do it now. And so he's like, give me a few rocks and off I go. So do you see the difference? That's when he talks about living in the promises of God, believing that God is going to deliver you, believing he's going to guide you, that he's going to go with you, right? That's what transforms you. I don't know what's going on in, David, in Daniel's head when he was thrown into the lion's den for continuing to walk according to what God thought. I know what the king thought after it was over. He said, you know what? Let's all worship Daniel's God. You see the difference? Christian, walk in the promises of God. Not the imaginary ones. The real ones. Rooted in his son. The Bible has tons to say about the promises of God. Are you down? Are you suffering? Psalm 119.50 says, My comfort in my suffering is this. Your promise preserves my life. Your promise preserves my life. Are you facing a difficult decision? Not sure if you want to throw yourself into this faith thing all the way yet. Think about this. This is from Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. What he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door. No one can can shut. So, if God puts that open door in front of you that nobody can shut, and it's the one he's called you to do, guess what? Ain't nobody shutting it. It's not getting shut. So walk in it. Walk through it. Don't doubt. And if you do, you pray to God, help my unbelief. This church needs to walk in the boldness and the strength and power of the Lord and his promises. So that's what we're going to do right now. We're going to start with what doesn't look like a very impressive feast. What is loaded with Holy Spirit jet fuel. We call it communion. Uh, you should have got a little bag with some bread and grape juice inside. We got some people, um, if you'll raise your hand, we have some people that if you didn't get one and you'd like one, no pressure. But if you'd like one, keep your hand up until they come find you. We'll see a few in different parts of the room. If you didn't, we'll get it to you. Just keep your hand up. We do this every week. We do it every week because uh, God's people have drawn strength from it since the earliest days. And what you're holding in your hand, if you're not familiar with communion, is uh, symbolic. It's bread and cup, which represent the body and the blood of Jesus. And so we're going to do this now as a confession that this is... That we, we believe the promises of God. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Sisters and brothers, God's given us everything we need. His promises are enough. So let's walk in. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, with bread and cup now, we say yes. We say we believe. We say we're in it together. We say we're willing to walk as Jesus walked. We're saying we believe, just as the psalmist wrote, that in 
that our comfort in our suffering is that your promise preserves our lives. That if you open the door, nobody can shut it. And that the same God who gave Abraham the promise and gave David the promise and gave Christians of all generations and times and places the promise that you would be with them, Father, we embrace it today. And we welcome you here now. We love you, Lord. We're committed to you. We pray this in Jesus' name.